Good morning, and I'm glad to be here with all of you. It's, it's actually a really interesting uh, moment for me to be standing up here because when I was a kid, uh, around the age of some of the kids that were sitting in here this morning, uh, right where I'm standing was a volleyball court way back in the day before any of this was here, and, and playing uh, volleyball on, on that court, never in a million years would I have expected to be here on a stage in front of you at, at this church, um, and so it's a blessing to be over here. It's kind of weird for me. You always feel like a kid over on this, this side of uh, Highway 6, but um, I want to say just how blessed we are to have the leaders that we do. I mean, just over the last month and through Harvey and everything else, you know, David and Shannon, um, all of our staff that are here with us this morning, like the hours that they have put in and the things that they have organized and the people they've brought together and the way that they've done it patiently, not losing their mind, or at least not that we know that they're losing their mind, right? They're not letting us see that. Uh, just a phenomenal job, and we're blessed beyond measure to have them. And very glad that Dave and Shannon are getting some much-needed rest uh, over in Scotland. David texted me the other day. I said, you have to buy a kilt, and if you buy a kilt, you have to wear it to preach a sermon. So we'll see if he does that uh, or not. But uh, at any rate, we're, we're very lucky to have all of them and blessed beyond measure. Uh, but before we jump into this, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm a, a broken vessel to be the vessel for your word, so just let me step aside this morning and let your word reign true, Lord, and let me not get in the way of it. In your name we pray. Amen. So the verse for the day, we're not going to have any slides. I'm sorry I failed you in that endeavor, so there's not going to be a lot of visuals. But um, the verse for the day is Ephesians chapter 6, and it's a verse that we've all, uh, I believe, heard or, or been familiar with. And it's, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Well, it has been an interesting last month, hasn't it? Um, only, only America does the worst hurricanes in history, the worst wildfires in history, and the worst floods in history in like a two to three week span. I mean, you know, that go big or go home, right? America, as they say. Um, and so, you know, there were a lot of amazing things. We all see a lot of us in this room did, you know, during Harvey. But probably the thing that stood out most to me was an interview uh, that Jordan said, hey, you got to see this interview. There's these guys from Kentucky that saw what was going on down here and decided that they needed to do something. They went and bought a boat and just came down here to help. And I was like, man, i got to watch this interview. So it, it comes up, and, and for those who saw it, you know, this guy, he's driving his boat through the streets of Houston, and the reporter says, why did y'all, like, what made y'all just decide to buy a boat and come down here? And the guy kind of thought for a second. He said, uh, you know, we come from a time in Kentucky 
where people used to love people and use things. It seems like now the world has graduated to loving things and using people. And when he said that, I, I realized that I would probably not see anything more truthful than that statement right there the rest of the time. He hit the nail on the head. And, you know, over the last few weeks, David has done a phenomenal job of, of providing us with a diligent and right response and understanding of why these things happen, that we live in a broken world. It's just the nature of the world we live in. But I want to focus on a different question today. And, and it's exactly what the gentleman from Kentucky said. You know, the world has graduated to loving things and using people. But for three weeks... The entire country, the entire world saw thousands upon thousands of people put all that aside. And for three straight weeks, people who typically loved things and used people, loved people and used things to do it. There was a shift. My question is, is now what? How long is that shift going to last? Does it have to change? How long are we going to... Um, continue on in that endeavor. What if, for example, when you saw people out there, hey, so-and-so's house took a foot of water, two feet of water, three feet of water. I need a guy with a trailer. I need somebody to get over to Home Depot to pick up sheetrock and razor knives and everything else. I need a group of guys to get over there and rip the sheetrock out, and I need some fans to put in. Everywhere you looked, that was going on. People mobilizing for other people, putting aside selflessly everything that they had going on. And making it happen for other people. Everything else became immaterial. Everything else took a backseat and was not important. Why does that approach, why does that passion, why does that fervor for other people have to change? You know, we as a body of Christ, and not just us, but, but people who don't even know Christ, we're on a mission I mean, it was like God instituted a draft, and we said, the heck with that, and we just signed up, man. Everybody was on their game and, and with the program. And so, you know, it, it might be for the same reason that, that Harvey happened, and it's a truth that, that we must accept in order to maintain the mindset to keep moving forward, and that is this. And it's the reason that I quoted the scripture that I read earlier, because maybe that seemed a little out of place for where we're at. But the simple truth is we were born into a world at war. Now, we think about being born into this world, and, and we think about little babies in, in you know, the NICU or little babies in the, in the room with their mom holding them, and that's a beautiful image of coming into the world, but the reality is, is it's a whole lot more like jumping out of a B-17 into Normandy in 1944. And that seems maybe like a, a crazy illustration of coming into this world, but that's the fact of the matter. Um, <clears throat> we just saw... Uh, and. and I'm going to quote again, just for a reminder. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not the physical world. It's not the flesh that is our enemy. It's the spiritual. There's uh, something that we have to know and understand and know well in the Marine Corps, and, and it's called the uh, sympathetic nervous system. For all you doctors in the room, you're going to know what this is. And the parasympathetic nervous system. And the reason that we have to understand those things is how it relates and how it affects us in combat. And the sympathetic nervous system, it covers a lot of things. It covers you know, your, the dilation of your eyes. It covers your heart rate. It even covers your bowel movements. It, it, it controls a lot of aspects of your body. 
And the reason we have to understand is that when bad things happen, when the tragedy occurs or there's a firefight or something like that and your life's on the line, the sympathetic nervous system is going to start cutting out unnecessary items, okay, to include your bowel movements. If you ever heard of people in times past and in history, they called them cowards, you know, if, that, if they happened to urinate on themselves in, in combat or something like that. It wasn't that. It's the sympathetic nervous system. The body begins to cut out all those unnecessary items and focus all of the, the effort and energy on the things that matter most, your hearing, your sight, everything begins to slow down, and it's, it's the body's way of adjusting. It says we don't need this other stuff. And that's exactly what happened to the body of Christ during Harvey. Everything was shut out. All the unnecessary things were shut out. We as a body focused in on only the necessary items. But there's a, there's a problem with the sympathetic nervous system. And that's called the parasympathetic nervous system, right? It's, a th- it's antithesis. And it's something we call the parasympathetic backlash. And that's the real reason that we have to know and understand this. Because in war, in combat, if once you have, have gone through that, as, as Napoleon put it, he said the moment of greatest vulnerability is the instant immediately after victory. We are most vulnerable because of this backlash. Basically what happens, you've, you've all had adrenaline rushes before, and then what happens? Right? You crash hard afterwards. It's at that point that we have to watch and we have to be mindful and we have to pay attention to whether or not the people uh, that are supposed to be doing their job and continuing on because our vulnerability is increasing, if those Marines uh, are, are going what we call internal, meaning they're going to turn inside themselves and not focus on anything else that's going on around them. They only care about themselves, and they don't care about anything else. They've gone internal. They crawled inside themselves. Nothing else matters. Covering their sector for their buddy on their left and the right doesn't matter anymore. Doing their job doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is their own personal concerns. Folks, that is where we are sitting right now as a body of Christ. We just had, through tragedy, a triumph and a victory as a body of Christ. And now we are taking a breather at this point, right? This parasympathetic backlash, we're, we're coming down off of that, that rush and that high and that, that, uh, uh, that adrenaline rush from being out there and doing everything or for repairing our houses and now waiting on insurance agents to get out there or whatever. And now we have a choice to make. We either go internal We either stop caring about everything else that's going on around us or we take it to the next level beyond anything that we've ever taken it to before. Because if we allow that complacency to set in, then we will go back to our lives, we will go back to our everyday routines, and nothing's going to change. And one of the reasons that I say that in order for us to continue that, for lack of a better term, to go on the offensive is because we have to see that we were born into a world at war and that this place that we're living in right now is not a peaceful, wonderful place, that there's a lot at stake. Um, you know, for me, I, I tend to fall back into it automatically. I'm, I'm starting to think, oh, about the business, so I need to get back to this, I need to get back to that, and I start to trail off, and I start to say, hey, man, oh, you you got sheetrock problem in your house, man. I hope you can get a contractor out there. You know, we, we get back into that mode of reaching out to people. But houses need sheetrock and, and hearts need Christ, right? And that's really the focus. It's not the physical acts that we do. It's the love that is brought to people who need it. And there's an urgency 
that I didn't fully um, grasp or understand until I came to an understanding of this verse, and that is, uh, it's Mary at the tomb. And that seems a little bit out of place maybe, but Mary's sitting at the tomb, and she's crying, she's grieving, she's torn by sadness, and uh, she hears a voice say, woman, who is it you're looking for? And she says, sir, look, if supposing it was the gardener, she said, hey, look, if you know where they put his body, would you just tell me where it's at so I can go to him? And then Jesus says, Mary. And she recognizes his voice. She recognizes that it ain't the gardener, that it's him. And she says, Rabboni, or teacher. And she runs to him, right? And she clings to him. And he, he said something here that always made me kind of confused. Like, why, why did he say that? He says, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. There's something that we quote in the Methodist Church, and I don't know if they still quote this part, but um, it, it says, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead. When Mary runs and clings to him, consider where he just came from. Consider what he had just seen, the anguish and the torment of souls. And when Mary runs to him, he says, don't cling to me. Mary, things are different. There is no time to waste. There is no time for embracing. There's no time for talking and discussing. You have got to go share the good news. Go tell the others what's happened. Go tell them that I am ascending to my Father, to your God and my God. Go tell them. There's no time for clinging and hugging. There are souls and lives on the line. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, this is a quote off a news article during Harvey, and it was somebody had posted something that was uh, Christian in nature on a major news outlet, and I, I made the mistake of reading through the comments, right? That's a terrifying thing to do a lot of times, um, but, uh, but this one caught my eye. The guy said, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy, tooth fairy have done far more for me than God ever has, so I'm going to stick with them. For 71 years, I tried desperately hard to believe in God. But in the end, I simply became ashamed of my pathetic neediness. I choose not to end my life believing in a lie told by the priesthood over the ages for the purpose of controlling the masses. I don't condemn others for wanting to cling to the idea of immortality when the truth is that their little bubble of consciousness is simply going to burst and evaporate. So Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Somebody responded to him, Becoming ashamed of our neediness is a step toward God. As we do that and place our total trust in God, no matter what happens, he picks us up and fills our heart with rest and peace. No more turmoil. I've been in that turmoil before, and it's terrible. Only by God's grace the fear is gone, and I'm at rest with life. That's a beautiful response. Somebody responded to that. Very straightforward and to the point. Another brainwashed, dangerous lunatic was a response to that loving, non-judgmental, welcoming response. That's the world that we live in today. Maybe not the world we see every day, but the reality is that's the world we live in. I saw another example of that out of Redeemer one night. Uh, Stephen Robertson and I and, and a bunch of others uh, were out there, and this gentleman came by. I'd never seen him before. His kids were there. Uh, and, I mean, he just jumped in and went to work and knew what he was doing, okay? And uh, we started talking to him later, and he said, my kids go here and their mom goes here. He said, but I don't, I don't come in here. He said, he said, I'll be honest, man. I, he said, I mean, I ain't a bad guy. 
But I just never figured church was a place for me. He said, I, you know, I always thought church was a place for a bunch of goody two-shoes, you know, not guys like me. He said, so I, I wanted to come by and help, but, you know, that's about as far as it was going to go. He said, but hanging out with some of these guys here tonight and, and people, he said, man, they're, they're just people. They're just people. They're not, they're not goody too. Like they're, they're people I can relate to and, and talk to. I doubt if there's a greater compliment that was paid to the people of Redeemer this entire time. We're just people. And we told him, hey, man, we're just broken people that for grace we wouldn't have anything. And he said, you know, I'm going to start coming to church. Folks, <laughs> what, if, what if Harvey hadn't happened? Who would have reached out to that man? And there are thousands just like him, right in our midst, right in this community, who have a completely backwards understanding of what church is, a completely backwards understanding or complete lack of understanding of who Christ is. Who's going to reach out to him? They get caught up in this, this belief that, uh, or, or have a view of church that's one of legalism, of a salvation that must be earned of judgment and hypocrisy. When we come to a deep understanding of what's at stake with the people's hearts, then it's going to spur us into action, but we have to come to that deep understanding and see it for what it is. Um, our enemy is not natural disasters. It's not uh, earthquakes, hurricanes, volcanoes, any of that stuff. It's broken world that we live in. It, it just happens, Right? Our gravest threat is not ISIS. It's not North Korea and Kim Jong-un. It's not drug cartels or white supremacists. It's not communism or fascism or jihadists or human traffickers or any of the other people that we deem to be the greatest evil on the face of this planet. Our enemy is that which is at the root of all of those things. It's hatred, envy, jealousy, selfishness, cynicism, pride, lust, loathing, Greed, it's the tools that the devil uses to sow discord among the people of this earth and even among the members of the body of Christ itself so that he can continue to sell the lie that he's always told, that God is not good, that his word is not true, and that disobeying him is not that big a deal. It's against these things that we've got to recognize what's at stake and we've got to stand and fight, that we've got to go on the offensive and take what we just learned from Harvey and that passion and that fervor for people we don't even know to reach out and let them know about the truth that is in Christ. I'm not saying that we all go to street corners and begin to proclaim it, okay? I'm saying in how we live our lives, in the people that we know, that we know for a fact, because everybody in here knows someone who has a completely wrong view of what church is, that church is a body of people, that church is a body of people that follow a man that gave everything for them and that they are saved by grace through faith alone and no other way can be earned to it. You know, I know this is maybe not the happiest uh, sermon on the planet or the most uplifting, but I believe it's one that we have to uh, delve into and recognize just truly what's at stake. Because the enemy uses fear and shame and guilt. Every time we turn around, we see it affecting marriages we see it affecting relationships of people uh, maybe that we're in a relationship with or we see it from a third-person view and people suffering. 
from the pride and the insecurity that, that gets involved in everyday human relationships and all of the things that stand in the way for forgiveness and stand in the way of truth and, and love and that peace that can come for when people know Christ. And he relies on us to bring it. He relies on us to be able to respond to fear, shame, and guilt with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and self-control. We have to know these things. We have to practice these things. And there's only one way to do it. We've got to jump in. If you want to come to know Christ, if you don't want to... Too, many, too often, and it's the same lie that's told in churchianity. It's what I've heard it called, and I love this definition. There's Christianity and there's churchianity. Churchianity says, come to church every Sunday, tithe, get involved. Right? Being a good Christian is all about a good attendance. Okay? Before I, don't, don't freak out yet. And that if you are good enough boy or girl at the end of your life, you're going to put together this resume that hopefully, at the end of all things, you get in. And that during that time, if you do what God says, he will bless you with material things and everything's going to be wonderful and great. And it's a lie. People need to be introduced to the fact that, yes, church attendance is important. And yes, we need to tithe for things to go on. And, and yes, there are, there's truth in those things. But that salvation can't be earned, that we're not going to put together a resume at the end of our lives, that none of our resumes are good enough. None of us have a resume that's good enough. We can't earn our way in. People need to understand that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Because a man came who was the visible image of the invisible God and he showed up and he laid down his life for us. He paid the price. Nothing we can do can earn that. He already earned it for us. That's what people need to know and understand. That the church is not full of judgmentalism and, and hypocrisy. That the, judge is full of, uh, that the church is full of love and of peace. And how do we do that? I mean, Lord of mercy, it seems like there's a thousand answers. But to me, as long as we don't stop at the intellectual level of knowing Christ. And what I mean by that, there's, there's three levels in our relationship with Christ. It's the intellectual, the theological, and the mystical. This is what A.W. Tozer said back in the early 1900s. The intellectual level, we believe the story... So a lot of people do. We believe the story. Jesus died. He rose again on the third day. He died for my sins. Check in the box. Got it. I believe that. And that's where it ends. And you never get to know the man. You, you read the story, but we don't follow the man. You get to the theological level when we begin to, to delve deeper in and study and, and understand a lot of the intricacies of Scripture. And you get to know Jesus the man through the stories, but you're still just reading the story. And you haven't jumped into that intimate, face-planting, Saul experience, relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where the mystical level is. See, James, give me a definition of mystical level. I can't because it's different for everybody. But the one thing that is constant for everybody is that whenever he comes into our hearts, it requires change. It demands change, and it demands action. And it can't be described. I can't put it into words. Anybody who's experienced can't put it into words. But that's the level we have to get to in order to reach out there, to go on the offensive against this world that constantly is, is attacking our friends and the spirits of our friends, not just the flesh. There is a, and I'm going to close with this, there's a, uh, 
a story in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 22. There's a guy named called Beniah. And I don't know, I had never heard of him before. I, I read this book. And, uh, and the book is called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And I'm not going to go into the long of this, the, the depth of this, but Beniah was the commander of King David's uh, bodyguards. Okay? And imagine you had to have a pretty impressive resume to be like that guy. You know? One of the things on his resume is that one day he was walking along in the snow, he saw a lion. And while most people that have sense would either A, let the lion go, okay, or not do anything, or at least find a tree and bail out. He stared the lion down. The lion began to run away from him. He chased it to a pit. lion went into the pit for its own safety. He jumped into the pit and killed the lion with his bare hands. If we want to know and we want to see an example of what we should do with regards to the evil that faces this world, with regards to the deceit that is placed among the people and those that we love and the lack of truth, then it comes down to staring it in the face, standing our ground, right? As it says in the, in the scripture that we read earlier, this little piece right here, which I think is interesting. Stand firm then, I'm sorry, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. At the end of it all, we may be only be able to stand, and that's all we got left. But that's the kind of fight that we need to throw into it, because there is a lot at stake. At the end of our lives, are we going to regret that we, and what we did with this gift that Christ has given us? Or are we going to be able to say what Paul said to Timothy? As I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I want to say... I was inspired beyond reason what I saw during Harvey from all of you, but there's a lot of other people that need to be inspired and transformed by the things that God does through you in their lives. I think we'll close in prayer. I'm going to end on that note. Heavenly Father, I come to you today thankful. Thankful for the glory that you worked through Harvey. Thank you for the understanding that we've been given um, about Harvey, and, and the things that happen. Lord, I, I ask for the st strength for all of us to move forward, that, that we find those people in our lives that need you and need to understand who you are, and we bring that understanding to them. Lord, just let us uh, arm ourselves with your word and grow deeper in our relationship with you daily. In your name we pray. Amen. Ooh.